Greetings, this is podcast number 94 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we're going to discuss a big progressive victory, a major step forward on the economic justice front. It's the enactment by Maryland of a statewide living wage requirement for government contracts. The right is all in a tizzy, and well they should be. You won't believe the nonsense they're spouting. Let's get right into it. My sources are the Boston Herald, the Baltimore Sun, the Washington Post, acorn.org, the New York Times, several papal encyclicals and social justice teaching documents, jobsforthefuture.org, and americamagazine.org. One of the most shocking things I can remember in my political activities is the first time someone said to me, it was actually in an email I believe, that they think it's okay that someone working a full-time job that society needs done isn't paid enough to keep them and their family out of poverty. To me, to insist on the propriety of paying someone a sub-poverty wage would be a violation of the most basic moral principle embedded in our social contract. If you play by the rules, keep your nose clean and work hard, you and your family can at least get by. Before we get into that wonderful Maryland statute, a few bits of background information. Did you know that, according to the most recent Bush administration figures, we have 37 million Americans living below the poverty line? This is one out of eight people, and many of them are children. The official poverty line is set at $19,971 for a family of four. You may be thinking that this $19,971 figure seems awfully low. Where in the country can a family of four really get by on that amount? Your instincts are correct. Indeed, almost one-third of the entire country have incomes less than twice the poverty line. They're struggling as well. As Georgetown Law Professor Peter Edelman correctly observed, An astonishing number of people are working as hard as they possibly can, but are still in poverty or have incomes that are not much above the poverty line. Also by way of background, various levels of government in our nation have passed minimum wage laws requiring that workers be paid a certain minimum amount per hour. There's a federal minimum wage currently at $5.15 per hour, which comes out to about $10,000 a year, half the poverty level. Various state and local jurisdictions have passed their own minimum wage laws setting higher per hour minimums. A living wage law is simply a minimum wage law set at a level sufficient to provide the worker with enough income to lift a family of a given size above the poverty line. A living wage law involves no direct government payments to the poor. As applied to private industry, neither minimum wage laws nor their living wage cousins involve any government expenditures. If applied to contracts the government is making with private companies, then the cost of the contract could then be somewhat higher since the company would have to factor in the minimum wage or living wage salaries. With all that in mind, our progressive victory. Last month, 
Maryland passed the first statewide living wage requirement for those doing business with the state of Maryland. Quote, Under the law, employers with state contracts will generally have to pay workers a minimum amount, $11.30 an hour in the Baltimore-Washington corridor and $8.50 an hour in the rural counties where wages and prices are usually lower. Close quote. Just for the record, there are some exemptions, for example, for nonprofit groups and businesses with 10 or fewer workers with state contracts worth less than half a million dollars. The law takes effect October 1st. According to estimates by its proponents, 50,000 workers could benefit. Among those workers most likely to be lifted above the poverty line by this measure are those who work for employers providing janitorial, landscaping, security, parking attendant, and food services. And it won't just be those employees working on the state contracts, according to Thomas E. Perez, who's the state official charged with enforcing the law. He said that the statewide living wage statute will put pressure on such employers to pay a living wage to all their workers. Quote, it doesn't make sense that they'll differentiate wages depending on what contract you're working on. Close quote. Getting this living wage bill passed was a titanic effort extending over a 10-year period. In fact, the entire national living wage movement had its first big success in Maryland in 1994. That year, Baltimore became the nation's first city to pass a living wage statute for city contracts. Then progressives began work on passing a statewide measure. In 2004, a living wage law did pass the Democratic-controlled Maryland legislature, but was vetoed by the governor, who was, as you would expect, a Republican. Then last year, Democrat Martin O'Malley was elected governor with strong union support. The labor unions then gave high priority to passing a living wage statute. This is even though union workers in Maryland already average about $20 an hour. As Fred D. Mason, president of the Maryland and District of Columbia AFL-CIO, put it, quote, We believe that all workers should make enough money to support their families, close quote. Even so, it looked as if the 2007 measure would fail because of bitter opposition by Republicans and the business community. So to get it passed, the wage level was lowered slightly, that two-tier system was instituted, and the exemptions I cited earlier were added. Perseverance. Change takes time. But the direction is clear, not in the right-wing direction. I wonder if you'll find some of the things said by the bill's supporters as inspiring as I did. Everyone I'm quoting is a Democrat. Governor Martin O'Malley. What this bill simply says is, if you're working on a contract funded by the people of Maryland, we are going to treat you in a fair and just way so you can put food on the table for your family after a day's work. It's the right thing to do. First-term delegate Tom Hucker, who was a leader in efforts to pass the bill. This law lifts tens of thousands of families out of poverty and into the middle class. We're helping hard-working families. Today, Maryland shows the rest of the country a good way to honor work and fight poverty. Senator Thomas Middleton. It doesn't make them rich. We're just lifting them a little bit more out of poverty. Finally, Delegate Herman L. Taylor III, the primary author of the statute. This is a history-making day for us in Maryland. Maryland is one of the wealthiest states in the nation, but one in ten Marylanders is in poverty. 
This should help reduce poverty, and this is important because it helps fight poverty without using public assistance programs. Beyond Maryland, what success has the living wage movement had in the United States? You would never know it from listening to or watching the corporate-owned media, but across the nation, fully 145 cities and counties have passed living wage laws. The requirement to pay workers a living wage applies to those doing business with that city or county. The living wage level varies and goes up as high as $14.75 an hour in Fairfax, California. What's the prognosis for the success of future statewide living wage laws? Christine Sylvia de Janeiro is a labor standards policy analyst for the AFL-CIO. Quote, We've seen so many living wage requirements pass at the county, city, municipal level. I think that certainly the state level is the next natural step. Close quote. The group ACORN, the Association of Community Organizers for Reform Now, is in the national vanguard to pass living wage laws. Jen Kern is director of ACORN's Living Wage Resource Center and feels the Maryland action could be a stimulus to other states. Quote, a lot of organizations have been focused on increasing state minimum wages over the past couple of years. Now with this becoming law in Maryland, some people are asking, why isn't this on our state legislative agenda? Close quote. Indeed, a few other states are now considering actions similar to Maryland enacting statewide living wage laws. Let's now go on to debunk right-wing talking points on this issue. Right-wingers will complain that the federal poverty level of about $20,000 for a family of four omits government benefits that the family will receive. But the federal poverty level also omits certain major expenses the family will incur. It's a wash. In fact, the Federal Census Bureau recently presented 12 alternative ways to establish a poverty line, and 11 out of 12 of them made the poverty level higher, not lower, by thousands of dollars. Far beyond that, a research center at Columbia University says that double the current federal level, $40,000, is a true poverty line for a family of four. In high-cost areas, the figure would rise to over $50,000 and in the rural south drop to the low 30,000s. And the American public also understands that the official federal poverty line is ridiculously low, not too high, as right-wingers claim. In a 2000 survey, the public was asked, how much income would you say a family of four needs to earn in a year in order to make ends meet? Nearly 7 in 10 said $35,000 a year, which was at the time double the federal poverty line for a family of four, just like the researchers at Columbia determined. Another right-wing objection to the living wage bill is that Maryland has a $1.5 billion deficit and can't afford it. Well, studies from other areas of the United States with such laws found that the living wage requirement raised costs less than 1%. Supporters of the living wage bill also point out that the cost of entitlement programs like Medicaid will be reduced when workers being paid the higher wage no longer need them. But frankly, studies and offsetting factors aside, I say, and the people of Maryland say, tough. Deficit or no deficit, the people of the state of Maryland don't want their government to contract out work where those doing the work are being paid sub-poverty wages. 
As always, the right also employs its share of buzzwords here. One small business trade group leader said the living wage was an extreme extension of the minimum wage concept. A Maryland Republican said that, quote, this is putting it up too high, too fast, close quote. Extreme, too high, too fast? Compared to what? Wages in an impoverished third world nation? To keep this in perspective, if the 1968 federal minimum wage had been adjusted for inflation all these years, its 2007 equivalent would be over $9 an hour. The Maryland rural living wage level is actually below that. And as I told you above, that benchmark federal poverty line is itself way too low, so it's hardly extreme in the pro-worker direction to raise wages to meet it. And lastly, how about a false premise from a lobbyist working on behalf of the Maryland Chamber of Commerce? Quote, The bill is unwise because it undermines the purpose of competitive bidding, getting the best service for the lowest price. Close quote. Yes, getting the lowest price is a goal, but it doesn't trump every other consideration. We can get the lowest price by utilizing slave labor. We don't do that. We also should not utilize its modern-day equivalent, below-poverty-level wages. Up next, more debunking of right-wing propaganda. Your one-minute voting report. Blast the Right is currently at number six on the Podcast Alley Top Ten. We're down from number four last week. We're starting to slide down the list with the middle-of-the-month blues, so we could use an infusion of votes. A listener recently wrote to me that my shame technique had worked, and he finally voted. I was shocked. Shocked? Me? Trying to make you feel guilty if you haven't voted? Would I do something like that? I'm sure if you haven't voted yet, you have a darn good reason, and soon you'll carve out that 10 seconds and go vote. You can do so from the one-click link on my podcast homepage. Let me remind you of Peter from the UK's suggestion. Please put a beginning-of-the-month automatic reminder to vote on your computer. That way, you'll be where you need to be to vote, as opposed to hearing my request for votes during the podcast when, as now, you're likely not to be at your computer. However you do decide to vote, I really do appreciate your support. Now, in addition to the arguments we just discussed, which particularly address a living wage law, there are a couple of old, what you might call, all-purpose chestnuts that the right always pulls out. One is... The market should be allowed to produce the results it wants to produce. In this case, that would be to set wage levels. The supply and demand for labor will do what needs to be done. Sure, supply and demand plays a role, but so does union busting, threatening workers, and the desperation of people living below the poverty line who figure anything is better than nothing, even if the anything isn't enough to live on. When right-wingers say let the market decide, what they mean is let those with the most money make all the decisions for society. 
If there are two equally powerful sides in a negotiation, the market can produce an efficient and fair result. But if on one side is the money, influence, and power of a large business, and on the other side is a group of disparate individuals without any money, influence, or power, the unfettered market is not going to produce any result we want to see. A properly functioning democratic government's purpose is to create, on behalf of these workers, a level of money, power, and influence, as it were, to equally match that of the business side. Then you'll get a fair negotiation. When the government puts a floor on wages with minimum wage or living wage laws, that's what it's doing, ensuring the result is not distorted by the terribly unequal power relationships involved. Another right-wing chestnut is to blame the victim. If only these workers would get an education, they'd earn far more than the minimum wage. That's true. We progressives certainly want, we advocate, we strongly support, workers getting ahead by improving their educational level. And while that's a solution to the economic security of that individual worker, it's not a solution at all to the problem of structural, systemic, working poor poverty. Because even if every lettuce picker, bedpan emptier, and janitor earned a Ph.D. in nuclear physics, and they all went and secured tenured professorships at Caltech, Stanford, and MIT itself, the lettuce picking, bedpan emptying, and cleaning up of offices would still need to be done, someone else would still have to do those jobs, and those someone else's still need to be paid a living wage. To show how absolutely off-the-wall these right-wingers are, consider two unlikely historical sources of support for a living wage. First, quote, It is but equity that they who feed, clothe, and lodge the whole body of the people should have such a share of the produce of their own labor as to be themselves tolerably well-fed, clothed, and lodged. Close quote. Who wrote that? None other than the granddaddy of all conservative economics, Adam Smith, in 1776, in his book, The Wealth of Nations. Now let's flash forward a century or so to the early 1900s. Here's Teddy Roosevelt, a former Republican president, endorsing the concept of a living wage in an early sound recording. We stand for a living wage. Wages are subnormal if they fail to provide a living for those who devote their time and energy to industrial occupation. The monetary equivalent of a living wage varies according to local conditions, but must include enough to secure the elements of a normal standard of living. A standard high enough to make morality possible, to provide for education and recreation, to care for immature members of the family, to maintain the family during periods of sickness, and to permit a reasonable saving for old age. We stand for a living wage. Yes, Teddy, we certainly do. Now, many right-wingers claim to be Christian. It would be well, in discussing this issue with them, for you to be familiar with the religious teachings which explicitly endorse indeed make mandatory support of a living wage. In fact, even if you're disinclined to hear what religious leaders have to say, please listen now anyway, 
because they set forth crucial threads of moral reasoning that can be used in purely secular argumentation as well. Basically, the official doctrine of the Catholic Church reasons as follows. I take this mostly from the writings of several popes dating back to 1891 and continuing through to Pope John Paul II in 1991. Every person has, quote, a natural right to procure what is required to live, and the poor can procure that in no other way than by what they can earn through their work, close quote. Therefore, every worker has the right to a just wage, sometimes called a living wage. Critically important this, the right to life includes the right to earn your daily bread, to survive. Continuing on, a just or living wage, quote, means remuneration which will suffice for establishing and properly maintaining a family and for providing security for its future, close quote. Put another way, it's, quote, a wage sufficient not merely for the decent support of the working man himself, but also of his family, sufficient income to meet not merely the present necessities of life, but those of unemployment, sickness, death, and old age as well. Close quote. The right to a living wage, the church teaching goes on, quote, takes priority over any claim of the owners to profits. The remuneration of work is not something that can be left to the laws of the marketplace, nor should it be a decision left to the will of the more powerful. Social justice demands that such a wage will be assured to every adult working man. Close quote. In fact, this is so important that, quote, in every case a just wage is the concrete means of verifying the justice of the whole socioeconomic system. It is the key means. Close quote. Now here's the kicker. Quote, if through necessity or fear of a worse evil, the workman accepts harder conditions because an employer or contractor will afford no better, he is made the victim of force and injustice. Close quote. Force and injustice. In other words, it's violence. It's economic violence to pay someone less than a living wage. Only someone truly desperate would take a job that pays less than a living wage less than they need to live on. Taking advantage of such desperate people through economic violence is immoral. Put most simply, all you have to remember, quote, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, refusing to pay just wages, even if allowed by law, is a violation of the Seventh Commandment, close quote. A violation of thou shall not steal. Put that up on the courthouse wall, you right-wingers. Right-wingers are so out of touch on this issue, more than nine of ten Americans disagree with their position. A poll in the year 2000 asked, quote, Do you agree or disagree that as a country we should make sure people who work full-time are able to earn enough to keep their families out of poverty? Close quote. 94% of Americans said yes, with 80% even agreeing strongly. 94%, as the pollsters dryly put it, quote, 
support for this goal exists across all demographic groups. Close quote. I'll say, when did you ever hear of 94% of Americans agreeing on anything? If you asked if the earth was round, you probably wouldn't even get 94% agreement. So here you see a fundamental moral divide, a veritable chasm between right-wingers and 94% of Americans. Before I close, I did leave perhaps the best for last. It's the perfect example of how whatever a right-winger says, the exact opposite is true. It's when right-wingers tell you that establishing a living wage will hurt the poor because employers will be forced to cut back on their workforce and many low-income workers will lose their jobs. As the flack for a trade group for small businesses put it, quote, there is a downside to mandated wage levels. If you do it to an extreme, you're going to damage your business climate, you're going to damage your small employers, and you're going to hurt many of the people you're trying to help. Close quote. You know, I just have to say it bluntly. Every time a right-winger expresses concern for the poor, their words disgust me to the core of my being. Tell any such right-winger that their declared concern for the well-being of low-income workers is very touching, but then inform them that you're well aware of the ironclad rule of thumb regarding right-wingers and the poor. Whatever hurts the poor by reducing their slice of the economic pie, the right-wing claims will help them. And whatever helps the poor by giving them a larger slice of the economic pie, the right-wing claims will hurt them. Here we have the latter. Establishing a living wage helps the poor, but the right-wing claims it will hurt them. Why don't we follow right-wing logic, or should I say illogic? Raising the minimum wage causes loss of jobs, so don't raise it. Why don't we lower the minimum wage to create more jobs? Even better, let's lower everybody's pay and we can hire more people everywhere. Shouldn't we do that to your job, lower your pay, Mr. or Ms. Right-Winger? With this right-wing reasoning, workers should never seek any wage increases, period. They should strike for lower wages. Gee, what a wonderful world that would be, for right-wingers at least. Please, ask your friendly local right-winger. They've been making these claims for decades. After all these years, wouldn't the low-income workers, wouldn't the unions, wouldn't the advocacy groups have caught on by now? They'd see it made things worse. How many of the 145 jurisdictions that have passed living wage laws have seen these terrible results predicted by right-wingers and reversed their policy, abolished their living wage law? How many can you point out, Mr. or Ms. right-winger? Obviously, all right-wing verbiage against the living wage concept is but an illustration of what John Kenneth Galbraith wisely observed. Quote, The modern conservative is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy, that is, the search for a superior moral justification for selfishness. Close quote. Paying workers a sub-poverty level wage is just one example of such selfishness that needs to be justified. If you want to fight the right wing on this issue, I put two links to the ACORN website on my data resources page. Be assured 
you'll be going with the flow, with the trend, with the direction of human progress. Living wage legislation. The right can't stop it. They probably can't even slow it down. Because the flow of human history is not back towards feudalism. However much the right would prefer to see that system's level of income and wealth inequality. I found it ironic that when Governor O'Malley of Maryland signed the living wage law, he also signed that very same day a piece of legislation in which Maryland apologized for slavery. I believe one day in the future, and I hope it doesn't take 142 years, the time it took Maryland to apologize for slavery, I believe one day in the future we'll apologize for employing people and not paying them enough to live on, even though we're the richest society ever to have existed on the face of the earth. Let's all work to make the day when that apology happens come as soon as humanly possible. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. Tell ten friends, and you can all go vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do so from my podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. You can come over to the podcast homepage, subscribe for free, and then you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. I'm looking for a discontinued Radio Shack part. It's 26-204, 26-204. It's not available online, but some stores still do have it in stock. So if you want to help me out, please call your local Radio Shack and check if they have 26204 in stock. If so, drop me a line, and if I haven't already secured one, I'll ask you to pick it up for me, and we'll figure out how you can get it to me, and I can reimburse you. Music credits. The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber and Not the One Blues by Burnsheet Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of You Razzle Dazzled Him by Bill Jacobs. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. As always, keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at roadrunner.com. Rational at roadrunner.com. That's a slight change because Adelphia got taken over by Time Warner. You can also call in and leave a comment to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a message for me to play on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Forget your AWOL and your DUI You gave them a show that always pleases Your friends claimed you were endorsed by Jesus You're razzle-dazzle-dum, razzle-dazzle-dum, razzle-dazzle-dum And made sane people cry